to spend some moments in silence before I engage uh, in prayer. And I would like for you to pray with me. And one of the things I want us to pray together uh, about is that God would show us what it means that he has broken down the division that exists among all human beings in his son, Jesus. And that that is the hope of the church. That's the hope of the world. Okay, so let's let's spend some moments in silence and uh, pray towards that end. Father, we thank you that you exist uh, in community yourself, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that you were never, um, you never at odds within and of yourself, and you have created one new humanity through your Son, Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit um, that will reflect your glory on earth as it is in heaven. That this is what you said has happened and begun in the person and work of Jesus and will continue to happen until its full completion and consummation at the end of the world. And Lord, we're a part of that in our particular moment right here and right now. And you have called us to reflect that glory and to reflect that unity that is in yourself uh, in and among each other. And so show us how to do that and give us the strength to do it. Give us the humility to do it. Um, in Christ's name. Amen. So the first section of chapter two, which we looked at last week, was about how God has fixed and reconciled us back to himself. Our vertical relationship with him has been fixed because he made us alive. He brought us back from the dead, uh, spiritually speaking. And this second half is about how uh, because of that, God helps us relate to one another, helps us to have peace with one another, helps us to be ourselves in front of one another. And so I don't know where you are with your take on humanity as a whole today, but this is a great passage to look to if you're in a place where you're like, I don't see a lot of hope in the human race right now. Um, And that's what we're going to discuss today. We have uh, three points that we're going to look at from this text. Uh, Point one, why are people so divided Point two, how Jesus broke down the division. And point three, what it looks like when people aren't that divided. The church at its best. And so point one, uh, why are people so divided? Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, uh, I'm going to describe what what's going on in those two verses here in a second. But I want to set the framework for uh, why human beings seek to separate themselves off, according to Scripture. And it plays out in our experience today. Uh, We separate ourselves off from one another. Because of superiority complexes and also feeling inferior to those around us. And that creates all sorts of division and insecurity and and backbiting when we separate ourselves off from one another. This is what Paul means when he uses the term alienation. 
when you are separated from another human being, you don't feel safe as a human being because you're meant to be together. That was God's design for us. And so th- this is what happens when superiority is at play in and among people. When a, when a group of people places some outward noticeable difference between them and another group, and they use that difference as a grounds for thinking that they are better than the other. So we all do this by cultural preference. Okay, from my culture, I value being on time. Okay, and uh, my tendency is to look down on people who aren't prompt, even even people within my own family. You know, it's crazy. Uh, that's what we call a superiority complex, right? When you've elevated a non-moral difference as being better than someone else who isn't like you in that particular way. This is exactly what the Jews had done with anybody in the first century that wasn't a Jew. Uh, Their race, the way they adhered to the ceremonial law, almost everything about it, pointed to the fact that there was a them and an us. Now, one of the major signs of that was uh, it sort of became emblematic uh, was circumcision, weirdly enough. Circumcision was so important to the Jews in the first century that after Jesus ascended, the whole church, every church in the first century in every city was divided on the issue. They didn't know what to do with Gentiles and Jews inhabiting the same space. And when Gentiles would convert to Christianity, all the Jews were like, well, they got to they got to do what's in the Bible. Like they got to do the Christian, you know, the Jewish Christian thing. And so the church gets together in Acts 15 and they decide uh, for the whole church how they're going to go about this issue, this this divisive problem. And here's the letter that uh, they came up with. Um, Abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols, churches. Abstain from uh, eating blood. They also put that in the letter. Um, and what's been strangled and abstain from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you'll do great. Farewell. That's what the letter said. And that was dispersed to all the churches in the first century, meaning you don't have to be circumcised to be right with God. You don't have to conform to us to be in. Now, I want you to think about our culture right now. Um, You got folks on each side of a given issue saying certain things. Folks on the right saying one thing. Folks on the left saying one thing. Folks in the middle saying another. Even some of your friends right now. I've heard some of you. Some of your friends right now, depending on what, what you state on social media, where you stand, are deciding right now whether to block you or not. Whether to be your friend or not. What is it? That makes a community distinctly Christian. Paul is saying that in the midst of those tensions and those differences and even those disagreements, what is it that makes a community of Christ? Verse 13, it is to believe That you who were far off, you who were outside, you who weren't in, were brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. That through, through God, who had every right 
to place himself above you, to be superior to you, to not come down and inhabit in this world, placed himself below you so that he could love you. Paul is saying to this church, listen, you used to be on the outside. He's talking to the Gentiles right there. You were called the uncircumcision. That was a racist derogatory term in the first century. You could probably think of an equivalent today. You were alienated by people because they thought you were a dirty sinner. That you didn't have your life in order. They thought of you as a lesser human. And it was religious people who made you feel that way. And that's the first way in which human beings divide up. By you feeling superior towards those in your life. The second way is by feeling inferior. When a, inferiority. When a group of people are oppressed by society as a whole because of some difference about them that isn't preferred by majority culture and they take that difference and use it to validate themselves to make their oppressors pay. Chloe Valdery has a theory called the theory of enchantment. I don't know where Chloe stands on Christianity, but her thinking is very, very Christian. And she says that if you are a survivor of racial oppression, you are especially susceptible to falling into a spirit of revenge and resentment and self-righteousness. And in an interview, the interviewer asked her, well, have you seen any examples of how this cannot play out? Um, And she said, yeah, there's a guy named Daryl Davis who uh, was famous for his blues music. And he became friends, African-American man, he became friends with a KKK member after playing a show at a bar once. And it was such an interesting conversation to him because the KKK member said, I had never sat down and had a drink with a black man. And so he became friends with him. And then he became friends with a whole community of KKK members. And after a while, 200 KKK members gave them his, their robes. They deconverted because their ideology didn't match up with their experience of a black man. And this is what Chloe said. When you move towards those whom you would naturally want to move away from, she called it an evolutionary hack. For the human race. You know what we call it? The expression of the gospel in the world. Because this is what Jesus did for you and me. It's the only way out of vengeance. This is what Paul has been saying all along. And exactly what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. That before you go making judgments about people. You better look in your own eye. Take it out. That log. And then you'll be ready to make judgments. Meaning, we can take our gifts, the ways in which we feel superior, or we can even take our insecurities, the ways in which we feel inferior, and we can use both of those things to separate ourselves off from each other. And this is what Jesus does. He says, don't don't do that. You don't have to do that. That's not what you're on earth for. This is what people naturally do without God. And Paul's Saying here in the first few verses, just as you were alienated vertically from God, you were alienated from each other horizontally. In verse 12, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. But just like we learned last week, one of the best words in the Bible is but, right? B-U-T. Verse 13, but now 
This leads us to our second point. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. In short, Jesus killed the hate between people by being killed. Uh, As one theologian says, Jesus became the non-totalizing absolute, which means he is the king who was willingly killed. He had all the authority that he could use in whatever way he wanted to, and he uses it to sacrifice himself. If that is the heart of a religion, you can't lose. That through his blood, peace permeates the world and permeates your life. You know it. If you're mad at somebody in your life, you know it. If you harbor that bitterness and that resentment, what what good does it do? Do you get over it? No, that person's still got control over you. And forgiveness is the way out. Forgiveness is the release button for the world. And and I want you to see this from this passage and why it's necessary for blood to (laughs) to be spilled for you and me. Uh, Because if you get this, there will be no room for making yourself separate from others. John Stott says the main two things that Jesus killed in terms of division in verses 16 and 17 are the ceremonial law. And then when he did that, he created one new humanity. And so uh, 15a, Jesus killed the ceremonial law. Now, if, if you know the Bible, you might sit there and think, well, Jesus himself said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He said that in the book of Matthew. And most commentators will point out that uh, in the first half of verse 15, Paul was talking about the the particular aspect of the Jewish law that was uh, ceremonial, that was of uh, that particular culture in that particular time. And Christ did away with that, particularly in the act of shedding his blood on the cross. And so if you remember, after Jesus died, there was something that happened in the temple right after he died. There is a curtain that was torn open, wide open. And the reason why is because Jesus's death was to show that all people have direct access to God through the blood of Jesus. Now, the reason why that was important for the Jews in the first century is because they didn't have a place to go in the temple except the court of the Gentiles. That they were divided out among uh, Jews and Gentiles. And so if they were in a place where the Jews would be, they got kicked out. And it it was uh, very, very obvious. Now think, I know this is going to be a blatant example, but think like a very um, blatant gay or lesbian person sitting in the front row seat of the most conservative high church in the United States. Or think a, a street preacher at an LGBT meeting. Those are invisible lines that are being crossed, right? They're like, they don't belong together, right? Uh, Jews and Gentiles had to literally cross an actual wall to be with one another. And this is what Jesus does. He comes into the earth, he comes into the world, and he breaks that down. Because he hates division. He wants us to be one. He, He wants that even though we're so broken and so sinful... He wants his blood to reunite people that are very, very, very different from one another because he wants the glory. When Christ died, when his blood was spilled, what he was saying is, do you see the path forward? 
for humanity. This is at the center of the cosmos. There's a lamb that everything revolves around. That that's the center of what you will worship. That's the point. Now, why did he do this? Uh, He did this because he wants to make enemies friends. Which is the second aspect of how Jesus put an end to the vision. Look at verses 15b. He wanted to create one new humanity. The more literal wooden translation would be he wanted to create one new human race. It is... uh, It's something about Christ that unifies all Christians, particularly seen in the crucifixion. So much so that in other places, Paul says that our union with Christ is so strong that even our gender, our race, our culture, it's almost like it's secondary compared to what Christ made us into in this community. Uh, If you get this, you'll see the difference between cultural evangelicalism And like real Christianity. Actual Christian community, which which usually thrives on the margins of society and goes unnoticed by the world. Here's how Paul wants us to think. If Christ is your highest identity, he's your ultimate identity. You are a Christian before you are a male or female. That you are a Christian before you're democratic or republican or moderate. You're a Christian before you're a certain race. And this is this. I don't I don't want to get way too meta here, but just think about this. What this means is that you're a Christian before you belong even to your own family. That even before anything good or bad happened to you, before you were what you think of as you. You had an identity. That was so tied to the God of the universe that no person, not even death, can take it away. Jesus came to earth to form a new type of group. I don't know if this story is true, but it's a famous legend from where I come from. I'm from Augusta, Georgia, and the the legend goes that Bill Gates wanted to become a member of the Masters and offered the powers that be lots and lots of money, and they kept turning him down. And the reason why is because the Masters Golf Tournament doesn't need any more money. But here's what they like to do. They like to remind you and even the members themselves that there's an us and then there's a them. And we get to decide who gets in. And so no, Bill Gates, we don't need your money. I do think he's a member now, by the way. Um, this, Jesus came to destroy that. Jesus came to earth to to form a new type of way of getting in. And and he says the way in in his kingdom is first and foremost, you personally saying, I am the type of person that would kill my God to get what I want. But God rescued me from myself. He rescued me from the ways in which I alienate myself from other people. And if he can rescue me, he can rescue anybody. That's how you get in with God. 
that you start with saying, I, I broke this thing between me and him. Just like Adam and Eve, I broke it because I wanted to. But God is bringing me back. Paul is saying, if that's the kind of hope you need, I know just where to look. I know just where you can look. And uh, don't laugh out loud when I say this, but this is where you find the hope of the world, in the church. But don't look online or on the news. But you got to go and be around people and experience this firsthand to really get it. The church is where people go, not because they lean one way or because they want to rally around people like yourself, but the opposite. The church is where you most blatantly see the peace of Christ reigning, where very different people like Jews and Gentiles are reconciled back to one another because of their reconciliation with God. And I can already hear some of you thinking, because I think it too in my worst moments, the church is the last place I see this. There's been so much hate. There's been so much injustice and wrong done in the church. And Paul says, I know. I was one of the ones that did it. Paul, Paul would have been, he, he would have said as an orthodox religious man, he's like, it's in the Bible. Everybody in this room should be killed. Because of what you're saying, you believe. That, that God doesn't become a person. God is wholly other. And God can take somebody like that and use him <laughs> for thousands of years. When the gospel, it wasn't a theory to Paul. It wasn't just like doctrine out here that didn't affect his life. It got lived out. It became personal to him. And this is why it changed Paul when he realized he wasn't just persecuting Christians. He was mad at God. He was so mad that he, it was like he was killing God. That's the beginning of peace. When you realize that's happening deep down in your heart, that's the seriousness of sin. That's what's reigning in, in your heart if you don't have the peace of Christ by his blood. That you begin to say, I need, I need a God that would, be, that would be killed because of what's in me but also a God who found me lovely enough to actually do it. Paul And Paul seems to believe, and this is hard, hard to kind of hold in tension, but he seems to believe that there are two things at play in the human nature. It's the saint and the sinner. And what he can do, God's so powerful that he can put an end to the sinner without putting an end to us. Paul seems to believe that the church can be actually irresistible to human beings. Because it's full of people who, in their heart, they, they sense that this is where I belong, uh, among other broken people whose only hope is God in this world. Paul, Paul wants you to imagine, I want you to imagine what it would be like if there was no hatred inside a community. There's no petty division. There is, there is no, um, you know, we can have differences but there is space for those differences because those differences reflect the diversity that we see in Jesus Christ himself. They're good. He wants you to imagine what it would be like to, 
to have a community's unifying factor being the blood of Christ, the actual blood of Christ. That that's what you come together and celebrate each week. And uh, this leads us to, to our final point. What, what does it look like when people aren't divided anymore? The church at its best. I want you to think about the three metaphors that Paul gives us concerning the church. And starting in verse 19, he says, You are fellow citizens with the saints, citizenship in heaven. You are members of the household of God, brothers with Christ, sisters with Christ. In verse 21, you are the temple of the Lord. When people are so convinced and secure in the love of God, we can then begin to love one another. And when we love each other, Jesus said it in John 13, when you love each other, other people become the disciples of me, Jesus said. That's the purpose of the temple, for people to commune with God, to get near him. And the first century Jew had turned that into the opposite of what it was meant. And Jesus restored it back to what it was originally meant for in the first place. And he says, this is where I want people to find me now, uh, in you. I want when people are near you, for them to know that they have come near to the God of the universe. That you are the temple of the living God. There was an interview with a, a woman uh, who was a part of a church in New York also called Redeemer. And she became a Christian uh, through Redeemer because of the aftermath of 9-11. She was right near the, the crash and she had all sorts of needs. Her apartment was messed up and she had stuff in her lungs from all the debris. And she said that Redeemer sent uh, out basically runners in the neighborhood a few days after um, the crashes with just some like generic uh, postcard that said, hey, if you need anything, uh, come here or call this number. And she said, I was very hesitant because I was unsure about uh, Christians and what they wanted from me. And I was like, if I come there, are they going to make me go to this, their church? Are they going to ask me for things? And she said um, she was in such desperate need that she just kind of it didn't matter. And she she went to the office and she said, I was not expecting to share my story in the way that I did. But she said, just by the two women's demeanor that met me at the door, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they cared. And they listened to me and they said, what do you need? And they gave me some money and they didn't ask for anything else. And she said, what, what happened is that it changed my husband first. He converted to Christianity and I was more hesitant. <laughs> and then she's, she slowly started coming to church and she said, uh, this past year during COVID, so she's been at Redeemer for like 20 years. Uh, this past year during COVID, she, she got COVID and was in the hospital alone, and she thought that it may be the end. And she said, uh, I prayed to God, and I said, I, I'm okay. If, if this is it, I'm okay. And she said, that was a much different person than what I was 20 years ago in the aftermath of 9-11. And she said, the reason why I'm different is because I found Jesus through Redeemer. That's the discernible difference. Now, here's my question for you. Do you think that that's possible still? Maybe in our church. I certainly do. Uh, the church is at its best when it quietly serves behind the scenes in ways that are hardly ever noticeable in the moment. 
because you have the security as the servant to know that God loves you. Proof is seen in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And that you move into the world knowing that you have a secure future with his resurrection. And that you have a secure past with his redemption and reconciliation. And therefore, in the midst of trauma, you can offer people rest. You really can. That's what we're here for. That's that's what I want us to be about as as a church. That when you look at verses like 22 in our passage... And it says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit that you begin to actually believe that. And that you know that when you enter people's lives, God goes with you. You have that sort of reconciling peace about you. The aura of life, the aura of peace, not division. There are so many ways we could get practical with this, um, but that's where uh, life groups come into play. You need to work this out in community. You need to be around people. Uh, I mean, you, you just just sniff in the air and you'll find somebody that differs from you right now, right? Um, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but, but what we are to be about here in this community is that we have a God that would sacrifice his very life for us. And it changes us. Um, I've seen it so many times already in this church. And we're going to keep going. So let's pray. And uh, we'll keep worshiping. Father, we thank you for your blood. We thank you that you have reconciled us and broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And there's so, it's just so easy to look out into the world, even our own lives, and think about the tension, the division that we have towards one another and think, what's the, what's the point And you never, ever leave us in that sort of cynicism. Um, You you have come into the world to break that cynicism down.
Love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you.